Hello, beloved. This is Pastor Steve Castle. I'm so honored that you've chosen to listen to us today. If there's any additional information that you need, please visit our website at www.belovedchurchillinois.com. We thank you that you are continuing to give God an opportunity to minister to your hearts. He has amazing, wonderful plans for your life. We would love to join you on the journey of you finding out the depths of the relationship that you could have with Him. You were created in His image for a beautiful purpose, and He wants to show you that purpose. We continue to believe God with you and for you to accomplish that goal. If you're in the area, please stop by. Remember, at Beloved Church, this is the place where you are greatly loved. God bless you. Talk to you soon. God is a good God. If it ain't good, it ain't God. Coronavirus ain't good. It ain't God. James makes this very clear. Let no man say that when they are tempted, tested, or tried, that that is from God. Let no man say. And if you look that statement up in the Greek, in the original language, it's as close as you can get to cussing in the Bible. Let no one ever say that bad things come from a good God. Because when you do, you blaspheme God and you call Him Satan. None of this is from God. God gave rulership and authority on this earth to mankind. Now you can say, we failed. You can say, the church failed. I'd I'd be... I'd be a little tenuous about that because the church is the bride of Christ and so you want to be kind of careful about what you say about Jesus' wife. But God did not fail. God is faithful. Jesus Christ took stripes on his back so that no one ever for the rest of human existence ever would have sickness or disease. And I know that might be a new wrinkle in some people's cerebral cortex. I get that. But it's true. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says that prophetically Jesus was going to come, take stripes on his back. Those stripes, specific purpose of those stripes, to bring healing from all sickness and all disease. Write it down, look it up. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And then in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, while Jesus Christ was doing His ministry, was doing the Gospel, while He was actively doing what the Father told Him to do, Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah. Matthew eight seventeen. He quotes the prophet by saying... Jesus is healing all these people in the previous verses of Matthew 8. The reason he's doing that is to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet said. That by his stripes, we are healed. So the prophet prophesied that the Messiah would come and heal. While the prophet, the Messiah, or while the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was healing, 
The scriptures say he's doing this because it was said that he was going to do this. And this is who he is. This is his nature. This is his character. In fact, Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 starts off with a leper coming to Jesus saying, Lord, if you will, if it's in your will, I know you can heal me. But will you? Now, this is where most Christians are. Most Christians believe God can, but don't necessarily believe God will. Now, you can put this in a hundred different contexts. God can financially bless you, but will He? God can settle your soul and help you with emotional issues. But will He? God can heal my marriage. But will He? I'm telling you, this is where a ton of the body of Christ is. And it's not legit. It's not right. Jesus specifically said, Matthew 8, 2, I will be whole. That should settle it for nearly everybody, everywhere, for all of time. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know I'm quoting a bunch of verses, and I hope that you're getting it, and this is going to be on YouTube later, so you can go back and listen to it a hundred times if you need to, because you might. Because it took me about a thousand times to get it myself. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus' answer to the leper in Matthew 8.2 was, I will heal you, and did it, then what's his answer to you, beloved? I will. I will. And just to make sure nobody misses it, Peter comes along in 2 Peter 2.24, and he repeats in past tense. He says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Okay, now all of you that got a wrinkle in your brain from the first part of this, this is going to put for the biggest wrinkle yet. God is not currently actively healing a single person in this room. This is one of those cool preacher pauses where I let it like... The reason is because God did, 2,000 years ago, on the cross, heal anyone that would believe. <laughs> oh, I love you. Now, that immediately is probably offending some people. Because you're going to say, well, if God healed me. Why ain't I healed? Let me answer your question with a question. Is anybody, anybody that's married, you love this, where you, you answer a question with a question where your wife says, why is this? And I'll say, well, why is this? 
That's not how you roll. But Jesus did it a bunch, and so I actually have, like, precedence, because Jesus used to do it all the time. They'd come up to him and ask him a question and say, by what authority do you do these miracles? Well, let me ask you this. Was John the Baptist from heaven or hell? Oh, shoot, got us. So I'm going to answer your question with a question, like Jesus did. You can say I'm godly. Your question is, if God healed me 2,000 years ago, then why do I got issues? So here's my question to you. When did God provide salvation for mankind? Okay, the answer is 2,000 years ago. Okay. So Jesus only died one time for all people, for all sin, for all time. Jesus ain't going back to the cross every time somebody wants to be saved. Amen? He is risen forever. Which means that he paid one time for all man, for all sin, for all time. That was 2,000 years ago. And anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans chapter 10 says. So anybody that believes what I just said and calls on the name of the one that produced that salvation can immediately receive something that happened 2,000 years ago and it gets activated into your life and you become born above and you are forever eternally secure because of the salvation that was paid for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. So if salvation works because you believe something happened 2,000 years ago from heaven through his Savior, then why can't you believe that you can be healed because of something that happened 2,000 years ago for your body? It is so amazing to me that the average Christian can believe that God can eternally secure their soul, a resurrected body, and their spirit forever. Because they put faith in the work of salvation. But the little itty bitty tiny thing of God bringing healing to a person's body. Man, God can't do that. Do you realize the massive amount of divine power it takes to pull someone from Satan as their father with a dead spirit? And resurrect them with Christ Jesus? And seat them in heavenly places with the Spirit of Christ on the inside of them? Do you realize? Like, that's power. That is some wow power. To heal your body? Are you for real a headache? Oh, Pastor, I ain't got a headache. It's really bad. It's really bad to you. It's not really bad to God. Jesus would raise the dead because he accidentally stumbled across a funeral. <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, well, no, God, every moment of Jesus' life was preordained. He was a... Listen, I'm telling you, Jesus operated as a human like you and I. He laid down his divinity so he could take up humanity so that he could pay for humanity. If he didn't fully take up humanity, then he didn't fully pay for us. He was fully human. When he stumbled across the funeral, he did what his father would do. Jesus said that. I only do what I see my father do. 
I only say what I hear my father say. So when Jesus stumbled across the funeral and raised the kid from the dead, what would his father do? Raise a kid from the dead. When Jesus stumbled across or was presented with the opportunity for the woman caught in the act of adultery, and i got to be real careful here because I've been caught in the act in my life. I've been caught in the act. I have deserved condemnation. I've deserved destruction. I've deserved to be a castaway. Caught in the very act of being a terrible person. And Jesus said, Steve, where are your accusers? And when he raised me up and I looked around, I was seated in heavenly places and I had no accusers. That's what your father does. He has nothing to accuse you of. If for one moment you're feeling guilt or shame or condemnation for anything, it is not from your Father. It is not from your Father. Because He adores you. He was willing to trade Jesus for you. Can you please tell me what kind of a value system that places you in? I love Beloved Church. I love every face in here, even the faces that I just met today. I love you. I'd take a bullet for anybody in this building. But if I was to trade my son, who's running sound, for some Nazi, Hitler, terrible, I don't know if I could pull it off. And the father did. He traded Jesus for Hitler. Hitler rejected the payment. But he still did it. If you think for one second that the father doesn't love you, adore you, accept you, is willing to do anything for you at any time, then you don't know the father. And you should know the father. He's amazing. He's amazing. At any time, if there's a reason that you need to get up, you are totally welcome to do that. We're, this is a family. If you were at my house and you had to get up and move around, go to the bathroom, get a drink or whatever, you're totally free to do that. So we're going to do some supernatural things in your heart. I had to lay the foundation about how good our Father is so that nobody could ever walk out here and say, well, God sent a pandemic, so maybe the church could get her rights back through fighting against the No. God didn't send a pandemic. But God can take a pandemic and work through it to bring all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you brought your paper, if you watch my video, you probably have a paper Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible and you would like a paper Bible, we would be honored to hand out one to you, and we would be doubly honored to hand one to you, and you keep it. So if you would like a paper Bible, raise your hand. If you kind of, not in a rebellious way, but you just kind of forgot what I said in the video, and you brought your electronic device that has a Bible app on it, you're welcome to open that up. 
Just don't take any pictures of me because I don't have my makeup on. In your Bible, be it a Bible app or a paper Bible. Uh, for the younger generation, paper is made from a tree. And, and way back then, we used to take this black stuff called ink and write it on paper, and people were able to communicate that way. You can Google it later. It's actually real. In, uh, in First Peter, I want to lay down a really powerful foundation for us to have a revelation. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 8. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 8. This is talking about Jesus Christ, who obviously in verse 7 is enumerated. Verse 8 says, Whom having not seen ye love. I could, I could unplug right there and go for about 10 hours. Jesus Christ is easy to love. First John chapter 4 says that we love him because he first loved us. If you say you love Jesus, the only reason you love Jesus is because you've had a revelation of Him first loving you. Now, the cool thing is, if you feel like in your relationship with God, that maybe you're not quite to that place of loving Him the way your heart desires to, I have a solution for you. Have a deeper revelation of what he, how much He loves you. Because your love for Him is exactly proportionate to the revelation of you knowing his love for you. The more you realize he loves you, the more you will love him. It is a scientific, spiritual formula. When you see a brother or a sister who calls themselves a Christian and are super struggling with their love life, the reason that we don't judge them or condemn them is because they just don't have a revelation. I, I thought it'd be about quiet, that quiet when I said something like that. You know, it's easy to look at someone else and say, well, that Christian's a terrible Christian. I can't believe they did and they said and they, um, they just don't have a revelation of how greatly they're loved. You cannot give what you don't have. And you're holding someone accountable to give what they don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. To the degree that someone is outflowing the love life, the agape love of God, towards you or towards God, is going to be exactly proportional to the revelation of what they have of God loving them. And here's where I need to be careful to not unplug. The reason that most people don't have a revelation of how much God loves them is because jerks like me in pulpits stand up and tell people how sinful they are, how terrible they are, how wretched they are, how dirty and filthy they are, how, uh, how they deserve to be abused by God, how they deserve to have the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Preachers, well-intended, but misguided preachers stand there and condemn people to near death and then we expect you to have an incredible revelation of the Father that loves you, who's wrathing you. But he loves you, but he's wrathing you. It's our fault. And I apologize. 
if you've had those preachers that have done that and worked in your heart. It's not okay. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 18 says that God is love. God is love. God doesn't have love. He is love. There's a difference between the two. Me having mercy for you means I kind of dispense it when I feel like it. Me being mercy means it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what happens to me. Doesn't matter what I do. Did you? I can't hear you, sis. Oh, my bad. If you'd like to go to kids' church, we have that. If you're an adult and you'd like to go to kids' church, there's always one. Man, sorry. I just I'm excited to preach. I've been on like that spiritual constipation. It's been like it's been it's been like five weeks. I haven't I haven't been able to preach to a real face. It's like all oh, coming out. Careful, pace yourself. Need some spiritual toilet paper. Praise God. Hallelujah. God doesn't. God doesn't dispense love and sometimes dispense wrath. God is love. The reason that you're probably not experiencing that is because you don't have a revelation of his nature and his character. When you have a revelation of his nature and his character, of him being love, a lot of preachers think it's their job to preach to their people, to preach them into loving God. Let me, let me ask you this. This is, uh, this is my beautiful daughter. Uh, her name is Hannah. How would you feel if I said, Hannah, I command you and demand you to love me? Would you think I was a good father? Or maybe I need a therapist. But most people believe God does that. I command you to love me. It's in the Ten Commandments. You realize it's not actually love if it's commanded, right? If you demand it, it's not for real. But hold on, Pastor Jesus said that this is the greatest of all the commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thou shalt. You know, shalt is a really important word. Let me tell you what shalt means. Shalt means you will. You will. When it is, when you have a revelation of his nature, a revelation of his character, when you find out how much he loves you, when you find out that you're his beloved son in whom he's well pleased, you shalt. Lavish him with a response of love that is so radical. And passionate, it will literally move your body, it will move your soul, it will move your mind, it will move your wallet, it will move your car, it will move your lips, it will move every part of you because it's just going to 
or out of you. So him who you have not seen, you love. Him who you've not seen, you love. We struggle loving folks we do see. It says in First John, I think it's chapter, uh, chapter 4, it says, How can you say that you love God who you've not seen and not love your brother who you have seen? You know, I use that verse a lot when I counsel marriages. <laughs> Amen, I'm glad you guys laughed. <laughs> it would have got awkward in a hurry. I, I actually do that. I'm like, okay, so you love God who you don't see, and you're struggling to love the one that you're sleeping with, that you have a covenant that you've signed in front of a preacher when God supernaturally connected you. Well, yeah, but they... I know. that. See, here's the thing. If your love ebbs and flows by what other people do to you, it's not God's love. It's man's love. Man's love is tied completely to performance. Completely. You perform well. Everybody loves you. You become a jerkhead pastor that files a lawsuit against the state. I could show you the emails from the Christians. Their love has ebbed and flowed. <laughs> They've said terrible things to me, my wife, my children. They've threatened us in the name of the Lord. We're going we're gonna to come and bomb your church because we're a Christian. Because this is how man's love works. If the performance is good, the love is good. If you're not performing the way I want you to perform, you know what you get? Silent treatment. That's right. You're going to know that I am withholding my love from you. And if you don't pay attention, I'll be silent treatment like right in the face. Because silent treatment doesn't work in my marriage because my wife is like, thank God. (laughs) When you're married to a preacher, (laughs) you... Silent treatment's okay. <laughs> no, she adores me. She likes my voice. She's actually my favorite fan. She she listens to more of my YouTubes than anybody. But withholding love from someone, it means that you're just not operating in God's kind of love. And God doesn't do it to you. Romans chapter 5 says that when you sin... The last two verses of Romans chapter 5 says that there's more grace that God actually releases towards you the more you fail. God doesn't reject you because of your failures. His response to you failing Him is actually to dispense more and more and more grace so you don't fail. Isn't that radical? You know what you could do in your marriage? You know what you could do as parents? You know what you could do as citizens of the nation? When folks are failing around you, just release grace for them. Grace for them, grace to them, grace for them, grace to them. And then what you'll do is you'll actually raise them up instead of condemn them lower. Him who you have not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I got to tell you, I've done a little bit of that when I've seen our uh, our case 
back down the, uh, the, the tyranny of our government. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, what makes you born again. We actually use the terminology here at Beloved Church, born above, because that's what Jesus said in John chapter 3, that you're born above. Not born from above, because people hear that and they think, well, I was born from above and then I came down here and I'm a loser. No, you're actually born above. Jesus said later on in that chapter, that which is born above stays above. So you're actually born above and you stay above. I can't preach that, because I've got to preach it. The end of your faith is actually the salvation of your souls. Those of you that don't know, when you're born above, that's your spirit man. Your spirit man was dead. When you believed in Jesus the Christ, Christ is not his last name, Christ is who he is. Christ means Messiah, Savior. When you believe in Jesus, the man who was the Messiah, Savior, Christ, God's resurrection power literally flowed into your dead spirit and filled it with the Spirit of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says that that spirit that is on the inside of you is the Spirit of Christ. It's the actual Spirit of Christ. So you were resurrected by the Spirit of Christ in your dead spirit, and your spirit became alive and actually became the Spirit of Christ. But your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, the way you think, needs a little help. Okay, for the two people that nodded at me in humility, congratulations. The rest of you, you need a lot of help. And if you don't think you need help, I'm going to talk to the person that came with you. Because you need some help. That's in your soul. The more you renew your mind, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, the more you renew your mind, the more you'll take on the nature of Christ. The more you take on the nature of Christ, the more it flows from you naturally. Have you ever been walking through an orchard and you've heard an apple tree go, Raise your hand if you've walked through an apple orchard and you've heard an apple tree go, Okay, praise God. I've preached this all over the world, and sometimes I'm like, man, somebody's going to raise their hand one time. Like, that was a demon. (laughs) The reason you've never heard an apple tree do that is because it's in its nature, it's in its character, to naturally, organically produce apples. I know this is kind of deep. I want you to get this. If you've got a problem in your soul, it's because you don't actually believe in your identity, your nature, your character of the Spirit of Christ and allow it to naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance. Against such there is no law. If you're struggling in peace, you don't need to ask God for peace. The Prince of Peace lives in you. If you're struggling with joy, And I'll be honest with you, a bunch of Christians are struggling with joy. Sometimes the way you can tell whether you've met a Christian or not is it looks like they've been sucking lemons. If you struggle with joy, 
It's because you have not renewed your mind to realize that the person of joy lives on the inside of you. It says in Hebrews that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. He was anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. How did you find Jesus in a crowd? The guy that had joy above the fellows. The happiest guy at the crowd when Jesus fed the 15,000. That's how you found Jesus. Is the same thing true at your workplace? Do they know? Do do you want me to move on? Is that getting awkward? Okay, We'll, we'll, we'll move on. We'll do that another day. Of which salvation, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. This is talking about the Old Testament prophets. They inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Now, most people don't understand the enormous, radical understanding of what this little tiny verse just said. So let me break her down. This verse says that the prophets of the Old Testament literally begged and searched, strived, to have the grace that just naturally comes on anybody that will call upon the name of the Lord. Isaiah desired the grace that you woke up in this morning. Moses, yeah, the guy that parted the Red Sea, that took three million out, that we all are like, whoa, I mean, Moses is the man. Uh, Moses did not have your grace. Moses had a staff and obedience. You have a new nature and grace. You have more than Moses had. That is what this verse is saying, beloved. They searched diligently to have what you get by grace. This is probably going to lead you into an interesting place. You're probably going to say, yeah, but I'm not doing what Moses did. Now it's coming home, ain't it? I've preached a ton on David. David is like one of my guys, uh, and I get, and it's kind of funny because I'll get, I've gotten calls literally from all over the nation, from different states, um, from different people, um, mostly congregants. Some of the preachers, are, I think they're irritated at me because I took a stand, but you know they'll get over it. Um, that a lot of them are saying, "Man, you're like David and Goliath. You're like David, and you're facing down Goliath and and all that." And I'm super humbled by it. I'm honored. Trust me. I've I've been typing emails till midnight nearly every night responding to the people that are on our side. The ones that aren't on our side, eh, I'm not really responding. 
And I've preached a ton on David. And I want, I want to make sure that you hear me correctly. That I, I adore David. I adore the stand of faith that he made. Hebrews 11 talks about David. He, he was a man of faith. He accomplished some things. In fact, so much so that Jesus was actually called the son of David. Now think about that. God was called the son of David. That's a big deal. But, if at the end of my life, I accomplish what David did, I have fallen short of what I should be as just a low-ball Christian. If all I am is a pinky toe on the body of Christ, I should be operating in greater levels of grace and faith than David did. I'm not saying that to malign David, because he didn't have opportunity to be born again. You do. He didn't have the Spirit of Christ come and indwell him and literally change his DNA. All he had was the Spirit of God come on him and go off him. Come on him and go off him. That's why in Psalms 51, Jesus said, Take not, or David said, Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. If you say that or if you sing that song, and I know it's a catchy tune, don't you dare ever say that again. It's blasphemy. Because God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's important, beloved. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on and went off of folks like a coat, like a cloak. In the New Testament, when you're born again, you're born of Him. He can't take that back. It's a change of nature. This is a big deal. David, as incredible as he is, was not what we should model ourselves after. Should I look at the faith of David and model my faith after David? Absolutely. That's why he's in Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. But you've got to understand, remember David made some problems. He, he had some issues. It, it, just nod at me because if I go there, it's going to get really awkward in the building because he did some terrible terrible things. Okay, okay, good. Because I don't want to go there. My family will get awkward because I have to talk about adultery and all kinds of terrible stuff. David did terrible, terrible, terrible things. You will. You won't. Because your nature is different. David entered into godliness and entered into Davidness. Godliness, slay a giant. Davidness, adultery and murder. Don't you dare think that that's okay in the life of a person who has the nature of God. That's you. You know what you did? You stepped into godliness and you're not coming out. In fact, it literally says in Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 16, and in 4 verse 6, it says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, when you came through the door, like God took the door away. 
Even if you back up against the wall. I mean, you can live like a terrible Christian, but it's not your nature. That's what Romans 7 talks about, for those of you that aren't figuring out. Romans 7 is a miserable Christian. Paul said, there was a time in my life I was a miserable Christian. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this? And then Romans 8, which follows Romans 7, 8's after 7. Sometimes in Christian churches you have to say that stuff. So 8 is after 7. And so Romans 8 starts out with, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So you've been set free from the laws of sin and death because of the Spirit of Christ that came in you that took you out of wretched man that I am. Well, praise God. David would step into wretchedness and step into righteousness. Ephesians 4.24 says that you were actually created in righteousness and true holiness. You don't have righteousness and have holiness. You were recreated. You have a new man on the inside of you that is righteous and is holy, and that's who you actually are. What you see in the mirror, all that is, is just a coat. This right here, this is just the coat covering the real me. This ain't the real me. This is just how I get around. This is like my car. This is what I drive. And then the real me, when I get to my destination, the real me steps out of the car and lays hands on the sick. And they recover. And then they get back in my car. And I drive over and do something else. Don't think for a second that this is really you. This is just carrying the real you. The real you is the son of God. And for all the gals in the room, no, I'm a daughter. No, there's no daughters. There's sons. It's not, it has nothing to do with your, with your gender. It's not a gender term. It talks about your hierarchy. And it talks about your inheritance. You're a son. Sons got the inheritance. Sons are the hierarchy. Sons get the throne. That's who you are. You're a son of God. The more you think like that, the more you renew your mind to that. Let me, let me explain this. You know, David believed that he was going to go to heaven. If you might remember the story, when he did get into adultery, there was a baby that was produced out of wedlock, and that baby um, was sick and died. And when that baby died, David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not come again unto me. David knew he was going to heaven. We have made Christianity, we have made the gospel about you do something and then you struggle, 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 struggle for 50, 60, 70, however many years you need to struggle because some of you think that you're more terrible than others and so you've got to struggle longer. And the longer you struggle, maybe the more holy you become. For those of you that aren't paying attention to Christian life, usually the people that struggle the most are usually the most terrible Christians. They're the whiny, complainy, miserable, 
jacked up. Okay, so we could probably agree that maybe the struggles and the tests and the trials of life don't make you a better Christian. <laughs> you all okay with that? Okay. If, if struggles and problems and issues made you a better Christian, some of you know some people that should be like right underneath God. <laughs> and they're not. <laughs> no condemnation, but they need some help. It's not the struggles and the tests and the trials that make you a better Christian. It's how you carry yourself through that. Jesus was tempted and tested in every point like as we are, yet without sin. That's what made him unique. David believed he was going to heaven. David believed he had the Spirit of God, did he? Did he not? David penned a bunch of scripture. Amen? No poet has sold as many poems as David. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones together have not sold more songs than David. David had the Spirit of God. David spoke with the wisdom of God. David did incredible, mighty miracles. David believed he was going to heaven when he died. You know, for the most part, David would actually be a better Christian than most Christians. And David wasn't a Christian. It's another one of those preacher pauses right there. I could say that most people would say that's a good Christian. A good Christian is someone who speaks the words of God, somebody who believes that every once in a while the Spirit of God's around, lives in a little bit of holiness here and there, and believes they're going to heaven. Most people would define that as a great Christian. The Bible defines that as a person who's not even saved. That's why the prophets were searching diligently to see what kind of grace was going to come out in the future to you and me. Radical grace that was going to make us sons of God, that was going to raise us up and seat us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not just make us have some kind of eternal security, but actually change our entire Nature. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. That word might is dunamis. It's the miracle, explosive, dynamite power of God that actually created the universe and raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That you would know that that's in ya. In ya. You don't have to ask for that. Most of Christians are always asking God for things that he's already given you. He gave you dynamis, he gave you the dynamite, and you're asking him for dynamite. What you need to ask him is how do you light it safely? 
Praise God. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The experience of the indwelling power and person of Jesus Christ is going to be equivalent to what you believe. If you believed you're just an old sinner and maybe one day you'll be saved, then you're not going to believe that Jesus Christ on the inside of you is embracing you in a powerful and transformative way. I got news for you, you're either a saint or you ain't. If you still believe you're a sinner, you're just an old sinner, sinners go to hell. Sucks for you. Saints go to heaven. So you better pick one. And you don't get to be one on Monday and one on Sunday. You're not, there's no such thing as spiritual, spiritual schizophrenia. You don't get to be spiritually bipolar. It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. You're either a saint or you ain't. Now, if you embrace saint, and you embrace the indwelling person of Jesus Christ, guess what? Fruit. Revelation. Knowledge. Change. If you embrace sin, guess what? I think it's funny, because I hear preachers all the time preaching, you sinners, you need to not sin. Right, somebody got it. If I was at the zoo, and I was leaning over the railing at the lion, I said, you lion, you need to not roar. You would, you'd call like the paddy wagon and a straitjacket. You giraffe, you better quit giraffing. But, Preachers saying, you sinner, you better quit sinning? Hey, sinners sin. Actually, let me set you a bunch of you free. Sinners sin. That's what they do. You don't get to get mad at them. Because <laughs> that's what they do. Haters hate. Sinners sin. Evil people do evil things. And we get mad at them. For doing what's in their nature. At least they're not hypocrites. <laughs> thank you for actually responding to that, because I've been in churches and made statements like that, and they're like, okay, so Pastor Steve's done preaching. <laughs> and we didn't take an offering for him either. Sorry. You can leave now. A hypocrite is somebody who does something that they're not actually true to in their nature. The actual word for hypocrite in the Bible talks about an actor. Does anybody know that that uh, Tom Cruise is not actually a good ninja warrior, can jump out of buildings and do all the incredible stuff like those are stuntmen and they're playing with TV and he's playing a part? He's not actually that. He plays that. Is everybody okay with that? Did I just destroy somebody's fantasy world? Like, no, Tom Cruise's Santa Claus ain't real. Sorry. That's why the kids, yeah, that's why the kids went down. Like, they're gone. Santa Claus ain't real. The Easter Bunny ain't real. Pixie Dust ain't real. Peter Pan, there's no Never Never Land. Some folks right now are getting upset. I'm sorry. It's not real. 
That's what hypocrite means. It's not really real. So that means if you're really not a loving person, but you go pretend to be loving? So here's the thing. You know what's actually hypocritical for an actual Christian? If you're born again, you know what actually is hypocritical? To be mean. Because you're faking it. Because really real on the inside of you is the spirit of love. The spirit of grace. The spirit of mercy. You're actually being a hypocrite to be mean. And a lot of people feel like they're being a hypocrite to be loving. No, that's the real you. To be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. That Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. To know something that passes knowledge. Is that messing with anybody? It should mess with you. Language-wise, it should mess with you. If you graduated high school, that should really bother you. To know something that passes knowledge. He's praying that you know something that passes knowledge. The first no talks about experiential, deep heart knowledge. The second no talks about information, just general mental understanding. So the Father wants you to experience something that goes beyond just information and knowledge. Most believers, most Christians have information and knowledge about the love of God. But experiencing it? I'm not raising my hands in church. What if somebody looks at me? What if the Father looks at you when you're raising your hands to Him? Did you ever think about that one? What if it doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks about you when you're worshiping? What if it matters what the Father thinks about you when you worship? I'm not going to get all emotional with God, says every man, because I'm not going to get emotional with my wife. She's the emotional one. I'm the solid one. You know, when you fall deeply in love, and it actually is the kind of love that changes your heart, guys cry. (laughs) And it actually feels good sometimes. Listen, listen. I'll arm wrestle anybody in here. I carry a gun. And I cry. And that's on camera. So I'm really secure in all those things. To experience the kind of love, the four-dimensional love, the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height, That's four dimensions, length, breadth, depth, and height. We live in a three-dimensional world. God's love actually goes beyond your dimensions. (laughs) I don't know if God loves me. 
He actually loves you so much that it actually transverses an entire dimension. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When you read the Bible, do you like read it, read it? Or do you like... All the fullness of God. <laughs> you should, if you were up here and you've seen all the faces, you'd be like, uh-huh. Which is what I'm doing, uh-huh. Let's say I didn't just read this. Let's say I'm not preaching this. Let's say you walked into Walmart with your mask on. And the greeter at Walmart said, hey, you filled with the of God? Oh, dear Jesus, no. God, why would you even say such a thing? What's wrong with you? Don't you see me? Maybe I'll just... A lot of people don't believe the Bible. I'm being honest with you. I've actually, like, tried to counsel and, and, and help Christians. And I would say to them, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, well, I don't care what the Bible says. Well, then, I mean, we're kind of done here. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to do for you. I mean, go see a therapist. They charge you 500 bucks an hour, and they give you nothing. I charge you nothing, and I'm giving you God. And it ain't good enough for you. I mean, I don't know what to do for you now. Well, I know the Bible says that, but... Okay, now everybody in the room said that. Don't, don't, just look around like, well, it's not me. Look at your neighbor. And everybody would be like, it's not, it's not me. Everybody in the Bible said, everybody, everybody in the Bible. Not everybody in the Bible. Everybody in this room has said at some point in their life, well, I know the Bible says that, but. You know, if you actually would change that, you'd probably never say that ever again the rest of your life. Because if you, here's how you can change it and never say it ever again. Well, I know God said that, but because it would convict your heart. The Word of God, this is the Word of God. So God says that He desires that you're filled with all the fullness of him. Him. I'm getting some nods. This is starting to starting to get into the soil. The dirt's starting to get black. It's getting rich. You can smell it. It's getting under your fingernails. To be filled with all the fullness of God. Now listen, he's a father. What does a good father want? A good father wants his children to have the greatest life ever. What does a good father in heaven want? For his children to have the greatest life 
forever. How can I be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, let me ask you this. If you're born again, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what that means? You were born above. You were actually born of God. You're born of God. And I know some of you are like, well, you know, born of God, like I got, a, like I got one skin cell from one piece of DNA somewhere, but the rest of me jacked up. Like, God doesn't make, like, 99% jacked up and then 1% good. Like, if God makes something, it's good. It's all good. So if you believe you're born again, if you believe you're born from above, if, you believe, if you've thrown your, your heart onto God and He's given you a new heart and He has saved you and He has transformed the inside of you, that means you are born of God. Okay, now, this is going to be a struggle for a ton of you. Because this is not what you hear in your church. Does anybody know when a, a male dog and a female dog come together and they produce offspring, does anybody know what that's called? A puppy. I know, a bunch of you are like, is this a trick question? We'll try it again. So if a, a, a male cat and a female cat come together and they produce an offspring, what does that Kitties, look at you guys. You're, you're like scientists. A, a male hippo and a female hippo make a baby hippo. Anybody want to argue with anything that I just said? So what happens when God produces an offspring? What do you call that? I know, it's like, click, 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 click. Uh, tilt. Well, I mean, son of God, like, like loser adopted version. That's what you think. It's not what he thinks. All the fullness of God activated on the inside of you goes back into that experiential understanding of how much he loves you. If you understood how much he loves you, you wouldn't think it would be called robbery that he calls you his child. Because he loves you. What greater thing could he call you? He wouldn't call you a dog. He wouldn't call you a cat. He calls you child. And the more you believe that he calls you child, the more you have the fullness of God available for operation in your life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that at the name, the nature, the character, the authority, the essence, the honor of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and 
Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Ephesians chapter 2. That's true about Jesus. That's true about those who are named after Jesus. That's you, beloved. That's you. I'm going to finish with this statement. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10. Now, don't look in your Bible because I'm going to use what's called the Passion Translation. If you've never read the Passion Translation, it's available online. You can read it online and it will create some passion. The Passion Translation, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He gave us resurrection life and drew us to Himself by His holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good we had done. Good place for an amen. But by His divine pleasure. You're not in the family because you deserve to be in the family. You're in the family because He just wants you in the family. Because you don't deserve the family. But by His divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus, confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. For those of you that got two wrinkles in your brain, I just threw you a third one. Can't talk about it tonight. The truth is now being unveiled by the revelation of the anointed Jesus, our life giver who has dismantled death You know why the world is falling apart in panic and fear? Because of the fear of death. The COVID will get you. Watch out! I thought it was sneaking. I thought it was sneaking up on me, right? Like the COVID, like you got to wear your mask because it sneaks up on you. Just minding your own business, out walking in the park, right? And then, pow! That's why you have to have only certain state parks open, because some state parks actually have worse COVID air than the other state parks. No, 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 no. It makes logic. It's logical. I know you're thinking that's really idiotic, but you're wrong. Scientists have said that the park's air in Lena is worse than the park's air. Sorry. This truth is now being unveiled by the revelation of the anointed Jesus, our life giver, who has dismantled death. Who did it? Jesus did it. Jesus dismantled death. Death has been dismantled for anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord. Death has been dismantled, obliterating all of its effects in our lives, and has manifested His immortal life in us by the Gospel. By the Gospel. The Gospel is the dunamis. It's the power of God unto salvation for all those that will believe. If you believe, you can receive. If you doubt, you do without. The word Gospel means almost too true, too good to be true news. If you go to your church and you leave your church and you feel worse than when you came in your church, you probably didn't hear the gospel. Gospel's good news. What's good news if you're struggling with an addiction? Jesus will set you free. 
What's good news if you're struggling with a symptom in your physical body? Jesus will heal you. That's good news. The gospel is the power of God. You've got to hear the good news in order to operate in all the fullness of God. So here's the good news. God loves you. It's not in some ethereal realm. It's not just some comic book story. It's not a bumper sticker on the back of a Volkswagen Beetle. It's life from the cross. It's, it's nails in hand. It's blood. It's thorns. It's the, the payment that went beyond anything any human being could ever be. It could show you every time you look at this, you should know, I am loved by God. If you know you're loved by God, then all the fullness of God comes with that same revelation. Beloved, I have seen deaf ears open, blind eyes open. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen cancers healed. And it's shocking that Steve Castle, reject, loser, jerk guy, has the power of God flow through him. And it humbles you to your core to know that that came through me. God must really love me or God must really love that person I laid hands on. And the answer is yes. It's time for us to stand up and actually believe this is the gospel. I just told you the gospel. The gospel is not you're a sinner. The gospel is you're a child. And you're greatly loved. I'd like to pray with all of you. There's a thing that we do here at Beloved. We bless. This was really, really powerful in the Old Testament. We've gotten away from it, and it's kind of sad. But fathers used to bless their children. The patriarchs would bless their grandchildren. It was normal. It was normal. Absolutely normal. For people to stand and declare God's desire over them because those words carry power and changes people. And so we do this at Beloved. At the, at the end of every service, we declare a blessing over all those that are willing to receive. So I would like to ask you, please stand.